0: Welcome to the Inkwell, brought to you by the Speakeasy Cafe Open Mic Poetry Show. The Inkwell is a how-to show designed for writers to help them advance in their writing careers. So you've written something, now what? That's what we're here to tell you. Now, on to the show. Everybody and welcome to another segment of the Inkwell. We're very excited to be putting on this show today. We have a special guest coming on with us, Cassandra Tribe. Cassandra is a second time workshop host here with us. She hosted a show a couple years ago, actually, that was absolutely amazing. We had people who listened to that workshop and said it absolutely changed her life in the way that they write. So I'm really, really excited to be able to bring her and share her with you guys again. I'd like to go ahead and welcome her to the show. Are you with me, Cassandra?
1: I think I am. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you. <laughs> oh, good. I'm a little... <laughs> what? What? I said, "Welcome to the Inkwell." <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So I'm excited you're here, and I'm really, really excited. I want to thank you so much for agreeing to do this workshop. The last one that you did with us was absolutely amazing, and we still have people who are listening to that. And you know, I, every time I promote it, I talk about you have to listen to this because it will change your life. You know, and not just as a writer; it was just. A phenomenal a phenomenal sharing that you had with us during that show
1: well good thank you i mean i i was glad that you asked me when i called in it's something that i enjoy doing a lot i'm not currently teaching writing courses right now i was for quite some time so it's it's nice to be getting back in and just being able to put stuff out there because it helps it helps me too because it kind of solidifies my own thinking, mm-hmm. you know. And and I I do all the challenges that I come up with in the workshops myself, so that also spurs me along. Well, you've
0: had you've been gone for a little bit, and I was real excited when you called into the speakeasy. And read a couple weeks ago, and I was so thrilled to hear from you. You've had a pretty pretty rough time lately. You've had a lot of a lot of challenges of your own. What's been going on with you?
1: Well, I sort of pulled back from everything about two or three years ago, and it was for the purpose of being able to focus and finish a big dramatic play. I was work poem I'm working on called The City of Love. About two years ago, I got hit by a car while riding a bicycle, and that has kind of changed my entire life. I have, I have permanent damage from it, so I can't, I don't know yet whether or not I'll be able to ever perform live again. I had to le- relearn how to speak and control my voice, and I have to walk with a cane and just, you know, anyone who's ever been through something like that, or who deals with chronic pain and all the changes that come with it, knows that just you start from scratch again. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when I actually called in uh, just a few weeks ago. That was the first time I had read. I had just started writing again within the past eight months because I had to relearn the whole process of how to write, of how to even think about poetry because the area of my brain that got affected affected how I creatively think. So I had to find different ways to do things. You know, and then I had to get writing all the poems that I swear I will never show to anybody, but those are bitter and angry. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to just get that right out of my system. <laughs> well, you know, I just you have, yeah. Well, you know, you have to do that. That's part of the process, you know. And for me, part of my process is learning how to do something more with whatever I have at the moment in right now it's i view myself as having a very different tool set than i had before when i did the last workshop but um
0: know that that's not easy to do and it was a yeah that had to have been a handful i can't even imagine what you were going through but i am so proud of you because i mean you're a fighter you don't give up ever
1: yeah yeah i mean that's the key it's like even if everything changes there's still a very effective role you can play. I think one of the funniest things about the accident with a lot of what I do is I work with pain management and I work with Alzheimer's and with people in all sorts of conditions and suddenly I was forced into the position of having to use what I taught and that has changed everything about how I help other people and you know I, for me, in the back of my mind, it was always get back to the poetry, get back to the poetry. That was one of my goals. It may not be the same as where I was before, but it's still mine and it's poetry and poetry goes places. Mine is stumbling places right now but it's getting back i have the city of love which i mentioned before that's like a 92 page poem and there are 23 different characters in it yeah what what is
0: what you're doing with that
1: Well, it's designed for the stage. It's written according to someone who contacted me about a year ago. There were only about they were trying to put together a list of a hundred living writers who actually worked in the old dramatic poetry form, and I was number thirty-six that they had found, and they were having difficulties finding any more because this is a very the form I'm using is very traditional. the uh, The act of writing poetry for the stage is starting to come back. A lot of people don't know that most of the plays, the older plays, most of the older everything, were originally written as poems. You didn't have playwrights. You had poets. They just happened to write the stage. So come the spring, I have a, as yet, I'm not going to give the name, but it's a respected theater company in the Northeast. They're taking the poem in the spring, and I'm going to start working with their dramaturgist. Now, the dramaturgists, what they are in charge of is working with me to realize, you know, the stage directions, where where the poets will be on stage, what will go on. I don't have to do that as the poet, thank God. I just have to get them the words and a few little, and then this happens, you know, tucked in in italics. And it's the dramaturgist that actually creates the form that is followed on stage, and then it should debut next
0: year. So that's going to be... That is phenomenal.
1: I'm excited about it. It took me a long time to get here. I mean, accident notwithstanding. I started, it was something I wanted to do for over 10 years, and I knew I wasn't there yet. So I started, first I wrote a poem called Monster, which was for a lot of reasons I wrote that poem, But part of it was the structure. Can I carry a story all the way through, you know, with a complicated character? And then I wrote The Demon of Providence. And there's actually two characters in The Demon, even though only one speaks. And I did the little film of them where they're interacting, so I play with that. And then I actually did put on a poem on stage with Jay Chateau and Michelle Santille called The Language of Salmon. And we are radically different poets. I mean, you can't. Get more radically different than myself, Jay and Michelle. And what we did is we took the theme, we took the name, and then we all wrote poems in response to it. And then I had the dramaturgist role where I took the poems and I wove them together. So the three of us were on stage, each of us reading our own poems, but it sounded like we were reading one large poem together. And that was once I got done with that, I knew I was ready to move forward with the city because I felt like you know. It's small steps, but you sort of, as you find out what you don't know, you go try it, and that's how you learn it. If you hear any small screeches in the background, because he just started firing up, that would be my newest companion, Harry, the parrot, <laughs> who is a year and two months old, fully flighted and full of himself, and he loves poetry, and he loves when I talk on the phone. <laughs>
0: Oh, no. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, he loves Skype. Without, he loves really? to see people. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Well, we look forward to hearing from him throughout the show. Say what I have for
1: you today as you know, I actually having the recovery time down kind of put me in a place where I had to watch and listen more. And when you asked me about doing a workshop, I jumped at it because there's something I've been noticing more and more poets doing besides wanting to work on stage. And mm-hmm. that five five years ago, eight years ago, when you found groups of poets online, there might be a poetry challenge, you know, or maybe they were posting um, their own poems, people were giving feedback. And now it seems there's a lot more poetry groups where they're centered around a cause. So what I wanted to look at, because that plays into Creating poetry that can be performed on stage or staging poets together. I mean, here you have a central theme. You know, how do you make a poem that's that serves the call? So that's when I came up with the idea for the ex. It's a writing exercise called Binding the Moon, um, and that's what this workshop's going to be about. I love that title. Think? Isn't it a nice
0: title? It, it was hard
1: to give that. Title. It was a hard title to give up. <laughs>
0: you know. <laughs> I, I can understand that completely because when I when you sent me the information on the workshop, I was looking at that and I'm thinking, oh, oh, um, well.
2: <laughs>
1: I like that well, here's the good part. In the writing exercise, that is your title.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, great. Okay. I'm happy then. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's the first part of the really exercise. Imagine, oh, no, no. I want that one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the first part of the exercise is the title has to be Binding the Moon, but I'll get into that more a little bit later. Yeah, that sucks giving that one up.
0: (laughs) I actually honestly think I only write. You didn't give it up, you just gave it wings.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I actually think I only write poetry, so I can come up with titles.
0: So before we get started, I want to, I have a track of yours called Executioner's Song, and I would like to kind of segue between, you know, our chatty our chatty part of this <laughs> and you starting the workshop by playing that, if that's okay with you.
1: That would be good because I actually referenced that poem in a section of, in the section at the end of the workshop where I'm going to ask you a question about whether or not you think I did something well in this poem so you didn't tell me there was a
0: quiz at the end well the quiz is about me (laughs) it's all about me (laughs) all right you guys this is a this is a piece called executioner's song by Cassandra Tribe and then as soon as it's over the mic's all yours just go ahead and get into your workshop okay okay great here we go My hour of worship is midnight. The moon bright out your flame. I am the hope of forgotten men. God in a world without blame.
3: Blankets, body thought. Sometimes it cushions with deed. Food is proof of kindness. Kindness bargained for peace. Prayers are said. Permission loomed. So it begins. Death enters the gloom. The life that waited retreats from the world. The soul is forgotten. The body pieced by world. Death will go back to living until he is needed again. Memory will be argued by no one called a friend. Compared to a soldier fetid for killing in the name of Caprice, death in the peace is cut hidden. Blind justice fails to increase. Even on battlefield, there is no faith. Even in war, rules contain blame. At home, where soldiers are bootless, death is recruited and paid, service requested and rendered, secrecy hides all blame. Judas fed coins to soil the only seeds that ever grew, trees to watch the world and man as he through. Bright moon finds swaying face to hide and reveal again, flashes of effort misplaced, spun chance revealed, forsaken in solemn place. The body, strapped down and blinded, still communicates. Press wafer provides the food, food to assuage the weak, leaving the body hungry, crying one less speech. Bright moon finds swaying face to hide and reveal again. Flashes of effort misplaced, spun chance revealed forsaken. I have gone to husbands who were fathers. I have gone to wives who were mothers. Warning them to serve solid food better, the plate they gave me was empty. Though twas turned just so, hoping I wouldn't notice, broke finish mould and go. Brother and sister after forgot me and argued on how, when wine had been flowing so freely, their cups were empty now. Not agreeing with any reason, they decided each other to slur. Though wine soaked into the ground, no pool of bliss any more. No one in this world, that loves secrets revealed, wants to know the why of I am. Even the Christ on my hill was asked the source of his plan. I am the secret son of faith who chose a different stand, following words inspired but written by human hands. My temples you'll find in castles filled with forgotten men. Each of them sacrificed food to men's growing sin. I am the one who goes on, the one who should be condemned. But I make the sleep of the world, quiet dismissal kin. One day the world will go blind. And in blindness find me see. The flame on my altar will fade, and midnight will never be. Till then I am always invited, false promise of life believed, for I am the Christ of the chamber. These castles only I enter. Yet rule I, both now and now. midnight, am forgotten
1: The name of the workshop today is Binding the Moon, and the tagline for it is Creating Poetry That Can Change the World. So what we're talking about today isn't poetry really about your life um, or your experience or things like that. We're talking about poetry that is specifically written for, to create a change for social justice Um, It could be writing for cause. It could be writing for social justice. It could be writing to change a cultural attitude, writing for faith or writing for politics. Uh, The exercise Binding the Moon, this is part one of the exercise. I'm going to give you the easy, actually, I'll give you the whole exercise in one basic thing. Your title is Binding the Moon. Binding the Moon is your main symbol or metaphor, and you just write a poem that concerns the cause of your choice. Now, to break that down further so you understand what you have to think about to create a poem that really reaches out and changes something or creates the opportunity for change. There's a lot more going on than just, you know, writing in the moment. I mean, we all all start somewhere. And um, when we tend to start writing poetry, we tend to start at an early age. I think poetry is one of the few arts that has its genesis in adolescent hormones. So we, you know, we write because we're ready to explode because all these emotions are coming out. Our brains are still develop- developing. We have no other way to say them than in rhyme and meter, to write them for ourselves sometimes, to share them. I mean, we write about love, grief, longing, lust, power, poverty. We write it both. Both we're in the process of writing ourselves into being because, we know, we see things that, you know, as we grow and mature, we see things in the world that, oh, you know, we don't agree with or we want. You know, we want to be that. We want to be like that. This is the age of heroes. You know, we we are desperate to make a record of our lives and to, and to find out that who we are and that what we feel is valid and important. For a lot of people out there, it's that poetry journal from junior high or high school, that is all they had in their life telling them that they were worth something. You know, that type of poetry is extremely powerful. You might look at it, you know, as you get to an advanced age, you might look back and go, Oh, I hope no one sees this because it's so awful. But don't, don't insult the person who wrote that. You know, the person who wrote that was you, and it was you in the moment at that age being very real and very true to yourself and life as you understood it. As we grow older, our understandings change, and we start to look around and say, oh, you know, I wouldn't have been and had such a a, a horrible, horrendous time growing up if bullying wasn't you know, so prevalent in this culture. How can I help change this? Well, you do help change this by you start creating things that shift, either shift attitudes or open the doors to discussion. Um, and there are there are very very few people. You can trust me on this. There are very few people in life who want life to stay the same. You know, and of those very few people, almost none of them, none of them write poetry. Poetry, no matter what or why you're writing it, contains longing and desire. Either it's you want to, you long to preserve a moment that you know is going to change, so you memorialize it, you celebrate it in your poetry, or you're wanting so much for something to be different that you're writing almost like a prayer to it, to make it come into being. You know, poetry is not stagnant. You know, it's not about, you know, oh, I wish I could think it would be the same stuff, because if, if that's the way you think, you tend not to write poetry. Um, poets are driven by change because they are the recorders of change. A lot of people in this day and age who write poetry struggle to kind of find where to fit this in their life and in the great scheme of things, because it's not like, I mean, the whole arts, and the purpose of the arts in society and in community has really shifted. And there's a lot of people get a lot of flack. Oh, you're going to be an artist, you're going to be a writer, you're going to be a poet. Well, you're not going to make any money at that. You're not going to do this. And that's not what it's all about. Poets are the recorders of change. They are the recorders of cause and effect. We are humanity's memory, conscious and heart. Poetry is essential for civilization, and it's essential for the health of civilization. You know, but uh, when you get to the part where you're starting to leave behind, you know, writing very, very, very personal pieces, and you're starting to look towards, well, you know, maybe this isn't solely about me, but there's a thing going on, and I so want this to change you know, and now you're starting to write for a cause. I mean, there were tons of poetry came out. As soon as the incident at Ferguson hit, there was a real spike online of poetry that is specifically about this cause that also related personally to people's experience. Again, that's an example of being a recorder. You aren't just yourself, you're everybody else too. Uh, but the problem is, is that when we start to want to write for about causes, we, for some reason, tend to forget ourselves, you know. We we leave too much of the poet out of the content, you know, and we get into almost like a reporter-like fashion of describing, you know, describing horrible events, describing other people's reactions. But the thing about poetry is no matter what you do with it, and whether you're speaking to a global audience or you're preaching to the choir, is that it's, The the power of poetry is it's coming from within one person. It goes back to that idea that what you feel, who you are, is not only valid, you are needed in the world. Every single person makes a difference. If, if, here's the big if, if they put forth. As poets what you put forth are your words. You should cherish and honor your words. You should love them, but not that much. We'll get to that at the other end. You know, so the first thing you have to do when you want to start writing about a cause, you know, or writing for a specific purpose, you know, like the executioner's song, that is about the death penalty. You know, so, okay, so I came up and said, oh, well, I want to do a poem about the death penalty. So the first thing you, you want to do is you want to know what you want to accomplish. Why are you writing this poem? Now, with the executioner song, my goal with the poem was not to get people to think one way or the other about the death penalty. It was just to point out how it exists within culture and affects our society. You know, that's what I wanted to accomplish. I wanted to open the door to debate that was not based in emotion. And that, thankfully, has been what it has done to a degree. Um, And I have to interrupt myself because the parrot is about to trigger a track to be played. So, I'll just move him right off of the studio, so the first thing you need to know is what you want to accomplish. Why are you writing this poem? It's, you know, because I feel like it, because I'm responding to it. This, this is a good place to begin. Okay, so you responded to it. That's good. But what do you want to do with it? You know, what do you want to accomplish? Do you want to let people know how you feel? Do you want them to let them know this is right, this is wrong, this could have been handled better? The second thing you want to do is understand your passion. Okay, you want to write about this. Why? Why is this topic so important to you and more important than the other topic over here? Passion is a very unique and individual thing. You can't be passionate about everything because then you just wind up being tired. You know, when you hear someone say that I'm, you know, I advocate for social justice, that's not ever, ever true. You know, you're most likely, you may advocate for broad social justice, but you're only passionate about certain parts. You may be committed to everything. But understanding your passion is very important because it's going to tell you which causes you should be writing for and which you should leave to another as a poet. The third thing you have to do is know where your strengths are and then you have to find the weaknesses and the strengths. Usually you get told, oh, know your strengths and weaknesses, work on your weaknesses. Now, you'll maybe weak in an area. You may not rhyme well. You may not, you know, have, be capable of perfect pentameter or, you know, whatever it may be. Well, you know what? That may just never happen for you. Once you get to a certain point where you're comfortable writing, look at your strengths. You know, look at, maybe you have a stellar delivery style. Maybe it's consistency that's your strength. Maybe you have the ability with words to paint a vibrant picture. You know, now look at those strengths and see how to make them stronger. The stronger your strengths become, the less the weaknesses matter. You can always go back and work on areas you know need improving, but you should also always pay attention to what works, for you and nurture it, it's like, it's like anything else in your life. If you have a good relationship and you want to keep a good relationship, you have to take what's good about that relationship and make it stronger. That's what allows you to handle anything else that's less than perfect. so going back to the exercise, so the, the exercise is called Binding the Moon Again. That is your title. You are to use that phrase as your main title and imagery and to create a poem that addresses a cause you are passionate about. So here's how you start. First of all, the first question is, what are you passionate about and why? That's trickier than it sounds, especially in the digital age. You don't really realize how deeply you are manipulated by the Internet, especially in regards to social media. You may have seen the blip in the news where everyone got upset a couple months ago about Facebook tweaking people's news items to see if then their posts became more depressed or happy. Well, the thing is, everything you see on the Internet, everything you take in, if you you remember that phrase, you are what you eat, Well, you eat with your eyes, too. You know, on your social media accounts, you eat with your, you're eating with your eyes. Whatever gets thrown at you, you take in and it's going to affect you emotionally. So you might feel like you're very passionate about something, but it might be a passing passion. It might be a result of all this attention placed on something that is something that, yes, it concerns you, but is it a passion? Maybe not. So what you want to do is make a list. And on this is kind of like the litmus test for what you're passionate about. So you make a list of the causes you're passionate about right now. And then you, when you're done with that list, I want you to go back and circle everything on that list you were passionate about three years ago. Now, of course, you can't if you're saying you're you can't say you're passionate about an incident. it's what the incident represents that would go on the list. so it wouldn't be you know something like the Ferguson shooting. it would be what this Ferguson shooting was about, you know racial discrimination, racial profiling that would be what would go on your list so whichever ones you circled that for two or three years ago were also on your radar. That's where your real passion lies. If you are in a place in your life where you're just sort of broadening your horizons, then don't worry about it. Just become aware of what currently is arousing that emotional passion. And then when you do the list two years later, you'll start to see it. This is also how you start to identify your purpose in life, because there will be – they always define commitment as commitment – is what you remain um, present for after the passion is worn off. So this is how you define your whole purpose and and path in life, too. Um, And you want to make sure that you remember the exercise binding the moon is not, you're not writing reactively. It is not a poem in a reaction to a specific event, although specific events may be used in the poem so you know for example i got the idea to write the executioner's song because of the particularly horrific execution of man who after he died was proven innocent i mean within weeks after he died Um, i didn't choose to write about the injustice of his death that would have been a very different poem i didn't choose to write anything that particularly slammed the death penalty I chose to write about the sway execution can have over society, whether you agree with it or not. Whether you like it or not, it's present, and it has an effect. You know, and that all changed the types of metaphor that I – and symbolism that I was using. So once you have that list of what you're passionate about, choose just one that you think you can relate to the title. This is the next part, and this is where – Poems are, are made or broken when it comes to being effective When writing for a cause or writing to reach beyond. And that is you have to decide who your audience is going to be. Are you going to be, you know, preaching to the choir? Or are you going to be talking to a, a challenge? And that's the audience who may not even be aware of your cause. You know, the choir is everyone that already agrees with you. The symbolism is going to be specific to the instances. You can, you can call on more specific details that like people in the know who are familiar with it. Well, they're going to recognize it. You know, like, um, Ferguson, if you're writing about racism, you're going to write about Taylor Alessandra. If you're writing about transgender violence and LGBT discrimination, you're going to write about Sarniaz. If you're writing about terrorism and extremism, you know, just even throwing those names uh, using any symbolism, visual symbol tied with those, you know, people and incidences are immediately going to trigger backstory story in people's heads who are in your choir. So it's like a shortcut you can use, but it's only effective with people who are already generally going to agree with what you're going to say. So. Now, what you also want to remember is that when you choose the choir as your audience, this is a very important audience to have, and I'll get to that in a little bit. So, from within these very specific instances, you're going to draw the symbolism that is recognized craft your metaphor. Remember that your title and key phrase is binding the moon. Now binding can mean many different things. It can be tying two things together to strengthen them, or tying things together together to restrict them, or tying one thing alone so it cannot move. Now here's just something to think about when it comes to imagery about binding. Just about everyone listening is probably familiar with the historical practice of the Chinese foot binding. Um, it was awful, awful practice done for just strange reasons, well, mostly fashion. Um, but for the first time ever, and this is recently, you can still find it on the BBC magazine, the last few surviving women who had their feet bound were interviewed. The one common thing they said was that we were so poor, it was the only thing that made us stand out, and it had increased our chances of getting noticed, getting married. And getting out of poverty. Now that was true until the practice went out of style and, the, and when later was persecuted by the Communist Party. It started as a fashion of the very rich to show that they had servants and didn't have to walk anywhere. And it was adopted by the very poor, you know, as an enticement that they were valuable to have. If you notice, one of the recurring themes is the concept of how valuable the individual is so when you're you're preaching to the choir, you know the the thing is within all of our instances that raise our passions, there is a deeply personal emotion and desire represented. There's something hidden in there. You're not just reacting to somebody blowing something up or blowing up the Boston Marathon. You're not reacting to you know a white officer gunning down somebody who was wanted on a fraud. You know, there's something behind that you, the person, are reacting to. It's making you feel something, and that is very important to know. Everything that happens to you makes you feel something. And what you feel may not be related to what happened. You may have someone who surprise you, pop out of the brand-new car and give you a check for $100,000, and you'll get angry. And the anger that comes out of that is coming from someplace else that what happened has triggered in you. So you have to unravel your emotions tied to your cause. So when you are preaching to the choir... You know, you're talking to, you're writing this poem for people who are going to agree to you. You want more than just amen. You want more than people to think, oh, that's fabulous. I agree with you. You want to deepen their commitment to the cause by helping to reveal to them what that buried emotion and desire is, because chances are you all share it. You know, one of the best ways to do this is to look at your own emotion and desire, when this passion touches, you know, use it to build the imagery that will connect with others that are already there with you. If you don't know what it is, think about how the topic makes you feel in your body. You know, where does Ferguson hurt? In your head? In your stomach? Does it make all your muscles tense? You know, that's what you want to find out, because that shows you why it hits you so hard, why you're so passionate about it. You know, if it makes your head hurt and brings you down, your sense of justice is offended. If it turns your stomach, then you are responding physically to a fear of the the pain and suffering being shared by you. If your muscles are tensing, then it's fight or flight. You are either in fear of your life, it reminds you of the daily fear you are in for your life, or you are angry because it's a reminder of how daily you feel angry about this type of situation. So now, I'm going to play for you an example of a poem that is written um, to the choir. But before I do that, some of the best choir music, so to speak, for social justice right now is found in rap music. If you've never learned anything about the poetic structure of rap music, I really recommend that you spend some time on YouTube and go to a channel, and this is all one word: how to rap DVD. They have like a four-video series. It's a tutorial that breaks down the poetic rap structure, so you can understand it better. So when you listen, even if you don't like rap music, you'll start to tell who's very good and who is not at all. Um, so I'm going to play for you, and this is this is the speaking to the choir. I'm going to play for you an example of a poem written to the choir. It comes from one of the rap groups that's considered to be the best social justice rap group around. This song is all about the high numbers of minorities in prisons and racial inequality in the justice system. So here is a brief clip from the group, The Roots, performing uh, just a part of Don't Feel Right.
4: Cause I'm really a botanist, and when I'm writing my thoughts, I'm really a botanist. My main adversary getting
2: silly concoctions. Free your face like both silly and fast. The joint trying to get pop, then give me your option. Tell a cop that's stopping from filly to fast. The Jones is the witches since it's missed.
1: So now, if you, if you see, as you listen to that, um, there's a lot of symbolism and metaphor in there that's very particular to an experience. And this experience is shared by a lot of people, but it's still a limited group. This poem is going to reach the choir, but it reaches the choir and it gets them, it renews their interest in staying with the cause, and that's why it is so important. Now, the flip side of this is when you choose to speak to the challenge audience. The challenge is people who may not even have heard of the problem. You know, or they may not care. They may not think it's important. So how do you write something that gets people to open a door to at least find out more to consider, you know? So if you pick the challenge as your audience, everything gets different. You can't lose sight of the choir and the drive of emotion and desire. But now you have to reach people who may not even have this cause on their radar. You can't shout at them. You have to convince them. And here is what is most important about this audience and what you create for them. You can't, you cannot, and I'll say this a third time, you cannot win them over by telling them something is wrong. You have to relate to them something that they will hear and the images and meanings sink in. With the, rather than being immediately recognizable. So you have to, you can't just come out and say, well, you see this, this is wrong, and you're a bad person for not recognizing this, because if somebody if in, isn't even on someone's radar, they're going to shut down on you. So instead, you go, look at this. And you paint a picture, you tell a story. Choir, actually, let me change that. Speaking to the choir, you'll tell more of a story. When you're speaking to the challenge, you're painting more of a picture. The story that you tell is a little bit more abstract. It's abstract to allow people to find themselves within it that may not feel they have the same experience. You know, so you're, you're creating the snapshot image in their heads that you're writing for the challenge. It can be very visual, and you have to find a way, and this is another very important thing that you really need to remember, you have to find a way to place your words in their body. And I'm going to repeat that again, place your words in their body. Now, as poets, when we first start writing poetry, it's all about our body. How are we feeling? And, you know, we're writing the poetry, especially if you talk to, you know, when somebody who's writing poetry because of something awful that happened, you know, they're writing because nobody else has experienced it. And that is true. No one else experiences anything the way that you do. But all people experience the same emotions. And in most cases, they feel the emotions in the same place in their body. This doesn't mean that you always have to write like you're writing uh, medical Description, but it's the concept. Your words must reflect what happens in your body. Memories get stored in your body. They get stored in odd places. Where are they stored in you? Well, that might be where they are in someone else too. Not the same memory, but a similar one. We are, in essence, all the same person. We just have different experiences. You know, that's why we can connect. We can have altruistic moments. We can be charitable and compassionate and care about strangers because we recognize, you know, take take the, the old phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, there but for my circumstances or my experiences am I. When you write for the challenge, you are writing for you with another life. So, the same way that you use identifying how you physically feel to identify the emotions is what you're going to reverse to win over the challenge. These people aren't going to relate to you talking about how you feel and what you think. They're going to respond to someone talking about how they feel and how they think, which is a subtle act that takes practice to achieve. You know, one of the best places to find it is just watch commercials. They are masters at presenting how you feel, you know, or what you want. You know, you can learn, a poet can learn from everything. You know, an example, here's an example, and this is a very um, cut-and-dry example of what it means to write your words into somebody else's body. This poem actually uses body imagery and all body references so that, you know, the reader can connect to what this writer is talking about. Um, and this this poem was actually part of a body of work that was a result in the poet winning a Nobel Prize. Um, that is probably one of the ways that you can tell if you've been successful at reaching your challenge audience. Because it means people that even don't read poetry are reading you. They are connecting. Your cause, your topic is reaching people who would never give it a second thought. I mean, that's an extreme, but there's, there's other ways to do that. You know, this poem is about torture, totalitarian regimes, oppression, and injustice. It is quite simply called Tortures and it's by Wislawa Zimborska, and listen to the difference in the word choices and imagery. Whereas the roots for going for a direct experience located in one specific outside place, Wislawa is speaking to a set of experiences
5: located inside the body. Wislawa Zimborska tortures. Nothing has changed. The body is susceptible to pain. It must eat and breathe air and sleep. It has thin skin and blood right underneath. An adequate stock of teeth and nails. Its bones are breakable. Its joints are stretchable. In tortures, all this is taken into account. Nothing has changed. The body shudders as it shuddered before the founding of Rome and after. In the 20th century, before and after Christ, tortures are as they were. It's just the earth that's grown smaller. And whatever happens seems right on the other side of the wall. Nothing has changed. It's just that there are more people Besides the old offenses, new ones have appeared real, imaginary, temporary, and none. But the howl with which the body responds to them was, is, and ever will be a howl of innocence according to the time honored scale and tonality. Nothing has changed. Maybe just the manners, ceremonies, dances. Yet the movement of the hands and protecting the head is the same. The body writhes, jerks, and tries to pull away. Its legs give out, it falls, the knees fly up, it turns blue, swells, salivates, and bleeds. Nothing has changed, except for the course of boundaries, the line of forests, coasts, deserts, and glaciers. Amid these landscapes traipses the soul, disappears, comes back, draws nearer, moves away, alien to itself, elusive, at times certain, at others uncertain of its own existence. While the body is, and is, and is, and has no place of its own. So
1: that is – what I've given you now is I gave you the roots, and I gave you something from, from Wiglowa, with with and they are the epitome of preaching to the choir and speaking to the challenge audience. Now, what do you gain and lose with each? You know, when you make your decision, after you know what your passion is and your cause, when you decide which audience you're going to write for, which is better, well, the, the The truth is that one audience choice isn't better than another. When you are dealing with causes, you need both approaches, you know, because you need the people who are already there to stay there and keep the motivation and keep their heart in it. And then you need to come over and you have to get more people aware of the cause that you are addressing, you know, so you do need to do both and it's always a wonderful exercise to like take Binding the Moon and write one for the choir and one for your general audience. You know, what you have to watch out for, because, you know, I gave you two of the top of the line examples now, so you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an example of something that almost but didn't quite make it either way. (laughs) Um, What you have to watch out for is getting the waters muddied this happens when you take a poem written to be for a challenge audience and then structure it so it only appeals to a narrow group or vice versa. You know, um, when I was in the Army, I spent three years in a combat zone. Um, One of the songs that came out during that time, because you get very music-driven when you're in the Army in combat, it's amazing, you know, um, it's... One of the few things I think the movies got right about the wars is that it is driven by music. Um, One of the songs we just could not get enough of was called Home of the Brave. It spoke to us on a very personal level, and we did share it, you know, as a group. It held everything about the combat experience that you just can't get if you haven't been there. So that is huge brownie points for the choir, I mean, Home of the Brave spoke to the choir that we were already there. Now the, the issue was the song was written about combat, the experience of combat, but it was kind of meant to be sort of an anti-war song. Now as an active soldier in combat, you don't tend to listen to a lot of anti-war songs. Maybe you do a little bit. but. What got us was the experience. It was a non-judgmental presentation of the experience. OK, So now the choir has now lost the point, because now the intention is not reaching the correct choir. You know We're not hearing it the way the people intended it to be written. So when I came back, what I found out was that this song this, it was supposed to be an anti-war song um, had very limited play here. Um, But it was very strong among a certain group, and they were mostly, you know, mid-college kids kind of thing. And they read it. They had no connection to the wars or any wars or anything. That was just news items they buzzed through. But they read it kind of as a sad breakup song. So it's this song has a lot of the lyrics have tremendous amounts of potential, but it doesn't quite get it right. And part of the reason is instead of looking for, you know, imagery that relates to the body or imagery that relates to a shared experience, they went for cliches and slogans. What you'll hear, if you're of a certain age, you'll remember it, is take the train to the plane. And that was a slogan in New York City. So here is the almost but not quite um, good (laughs) poem for a cause. Um, This is, the Nails performing Home of the Brave.
6: Oh God of Hell, I said I love the sea that the devil gave me to wear to bear where the whores are dancing on the tablecloth And the jukebox plays Apocalyptic diva But the place to go is another
1: So that's a really good example of an almost but not quite very good poem about a cause. It didn't quite make it to the choir or the choir it was intended to and it didn't quite, you know, interest people who weren't connected that challenge audience. Now that's the way poetry writing goes. You not everything you write is good. That's a, that's a fact of life. But you have to learn to respect what you write, good or not. Because 10 to 1, if it's not good right now, it's just because you don't have the skills right now to do it the way it needs to be done. And you do not ever, there are three things you should never, ever do as a person or as a writer. One, you should never give up. Two, You should never think you can't make a difference. And number three is most important of all, you should never not try. If you want to get better at writing, you must write. I'm going to tell you something. I I mention this in all my workshops. When you hear people talk about writer's block, there is no such thing as writer's block. You either are writing or you're not. What most people interpret as writer's block is when they sit down to write, they're not writing what they think they should be writing. It's not coming out as well as they think it should be coming out. Well, just get it out. Stay in the practice of writing. If you're not writing, you're not writing. It's that simple, you know. It can be very hard, especially as your responsibilities grow and life happens, to maintain, to protect the time you need to write, but you have to find a way to do it. Send yourself text message, email yourself. All you have to do is keep little words and phrases, carry a book with you, anything, and eventually all of that catches up to you and poetry will come out of it. Now I'm gonna I just to put some things in time reference. The very first piece we played, The Roots, um, which sounds very timely today. That was written in two thousand and five. Tortures was written in the seventies. Uh, Home of the Brave was like a 90s thing. But there, there are some examples of poetries written for social justice that were done so well, they literally ring today. And no matter where you read them or to whom you read them, even if they don't, aren't familiar with the specific text of the items, they are understood and they are proof, 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 proof. proof that poetry can change the world. The first example I'm going to read, I'm just going to read to you just four, four or five lines, six lines, um, is not only all of that fabulousness wrapped up, it is also an example of perfect, perfect iambic pentameter. You can go get out your books, to figure out that one, I've never mastered that. Um, So, this is perfect iambic pentameter. As far as skilled poetry, it's phenomenal. As far as a poem that effectively changed the world, it did. It is relevant today. We fight about it all the time. So, this is Thomas Jefferson's small verse written in perfect iambic pentameter. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now that is the opening to the Declaration of Independence. And it isn't a reach to say that's perfect iambic pentameter because what you don't realize is when I said that the plays used to be written as poems. Most of the, the um, introductions to legal documents, to diplomatic documents, were also written as poetry because they are designed to be orally repeated and easily remembered. You know, we don't do this anymore. Now you can't even read you – you can't even read to one sentence of the way stuff is written now. But it was – the Declaration of Independence was written as poetry, the introduction to it, so that it could be memorized, so it could be written within the body of everybody in America and in everybody who heard it. That is why it is so powerful and so relevant. The next one is, um, going to read to you, that's another perfect example, it's very, very short. Um, it's by A.E. Hausman. And A.E. Hausman is known for, it fluctuates what he's known for, but one of the primary things he was known for in the 1800s was he was a child work worker advocate. He really wanted um, the child workers, the rules to be changed because they were basically slaves when they came in. And he worked a great deal for worker independence and rights. And this is his Into My Heart, An Air That Kills. Into my heart, an air that kills, from yon far country blows. What are those blue-remembered hills? What spires, what farms are those? That is a land of lost content. I see it shining plain. The happy highways where I went and cannot come again. No matter who you read this to, you know he's talking about somebody in a city remembering the country where they came from and the freedom of that country and the cleanliness of it he's not in this poem directly saying you know the child working laws labor laws have got to be changed it's awful he's not showing me a child slaving at a loom he's showing me what it's like to to miss something to desire something, he is showing me what it is like to feel trapped. And this is why this poem was considered hugely effective in the passing of legislation to change the child labor laws in the 1800s. So back to the, the exercise, Binding the Moon. So now you know a little bit more about how to start selecting your imagery and language for your poem. So you start with your story or image, write it down in full prose like paragraphs, so you know all the details before writing the poem. Anytime you write a poem about something, just write it out like a diary entry. You know, that's not the poem. You just want to get everything out so you can see it on paper, because it prompts more from you. That's why, as you start writing it out, you'll fill in the gaps you had not realized were there. Then you're going to learn how to edit. Learning to edit is essential between, for any poem. Um, For this style, you go between the prose and the poems. Make sure you have said all the things you wanted to say in the best way possible. And you want to edit to bring emotion forward, not to push it away. Edit with rhythm, rhyme, and style in mind, and that keeps your emotion lively. Do not edit for word choice until the end. And when you choose a word, it better be chosen for rhythm, rhyme, and style reasons. Because very often we can get a little too fancy with our word choices and it will kill a poem if it doesn't carry itself through in the actual rhythm. It's okay to use a word that people don't, you know, readily understand as long as you change that rhythm enough so they have an idea of what it means and they keep going forward and they'll look it up later, they will. I trust me, I use enough words like that and people do look them up. You want to edit for continuity, check and make sure that every time you describe something, you describe it again in the same way. You also want to play with foreshadowing and learn to switch time frames in the poem, too. You know, that's a tricky thing to go backwards and forwards in time in a poem. The foreshadowing can cover a lot of ground, suggest something in a sentence and fill it out later, and that literally can create a very tight poem that everybody gets. Uh, but it's going to be that word choice that's going to allow people to let things they don't understand slide because they trust they'll know later. Um, you want to edit the symbolism. Circle every metaphor symbol you use in that poem and make sure it matches your intended audience. You know, when um, the nails are talking about uh, God of Hell, how I love the suit that the devil gave me to wear in Beirut, every person I was with, knew exactly what they were talking about, the average person on the street is not going to know. You know, the same thing with the roots, the roots, every single symbol and metaphor the roots chose matches their choir audience. And every symbol that Wizlawa chose matched her challenged audience. Then, this is important, you need to edit for reading for speaking. This is very, very, very important. And this is when places like the Speakeasy Cafe really work to your advantage. When you write a poem, there are two different versions of it. There is the one that is read from a piece of paper, and then there is the one that is heard. Do not just think that you can read a poem you have written down. It's going to the way words are heard are come in differently to the listener than the way they are heard in the head of someone who is reading. So you really need to create two different versions of your poem. And the last thing is to to get feedback. Call in and read your version of Binding the Moon. You know, don't tell us what it's about, but let the audience tell you what they hear. You know, they are the best source of editing feedback you can have and let, let them say, you know, because you all got the same title, Binding the Moon. So nobody knows what anybody's writing about. So, let's see if we can know or if we can get close enough to it to let you gauge how successful you've been. And don't be afraid to, to write and rewrite. This type of poetry is very different from personal poems or narrative poems. I mean, you should also look online for different groups that solicit poetry related to specific causes. Off the, the top of my head, there's a very lively group on Facebook about uh, poets writing about SB 1070, um, and it has expanded the cause to really cover that. Um, and above all else, as a writer of anything, you must remember to treat your ideas like children. Nurture them. Love them. Tell them no. No when it's in their best interest, and then give them all the help they need to make their dreams come true when that's what it needs to be. Everything you think, everything you feel, everything you write down is vital to every person in the world. Because every individual in the world is necessary. You are valid. What you feel, what you think is valid, and it is important. The world can't go forward or backward without everybody participating. So please get that shoebox and keep the stuff that didn't quite work out, because when you're writing every day, because you no longer have writer's block, you just write and sometimes it works out and most of the time it doesn't, you keep it because you'll know when you've learned something that lets you go back to a past idea and make it real, you know to end this, um I did want to ask you there's two things: one, I wanted to ask you, knowing about now about the choir and knowing about the challenge audience. I want you to think about that first poem of mine that you heard, the the song. I already told you, oh, it's won awards and blah 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 blah, blah. but do you think, first of all, which audience do you, I kind of told you, per which audience do you think I was trying to write for? And how successful do you think I was? And you feel free to, to you know, hit me up in the chat room and, and tell me right here and now. Because a part of being a poet is being able to listen to feedback. You know, if I would gotten that poem perfect, Oh, my goodness, I'd never have to write about that subject again, now would I? But I do, because even I know it's not what it could be. But it always helps to have good constructive feedback. So now I'm going to leave you with another poem that's um, also in the same group, Traveling with the Executioner's Song, and this is one that's written about domestic violence. And I want you to think again about which audience, and this one you have no pre-knowledge about. I'm just telling you it's about domestic violence. That, I will tell you, I'm giving that away. But I want you to try try and decide which audience am I speaking to? Is this the choir or the challenge? And how well did I do it? So, I'm going to close by playing Striking a Match.
4: Striking a Match. Promises. Promises. Many things. If I have chosen to pour gasoline on myself, on others, on things, then the promises of destruction that will have no No, 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 means for no two people shifting me. Where the ash shall agree. And why I struck the flame. Houses will be left without them. People will be chosen to blame and if anything of me is bad of me and we will be examined. And not believe. The nature of destruction is to destroy only. Striking a match holds the promise of many things. If that match sparks a flame that flares to a candle, then the smallest part of life isn't trapped flickering boundary, its borders are breaking. Mourn the blaze of night, and change. (laughs) In that small circle of light, vision lacks clarity. life has the substance of dying, and no two people shall agree, for the nature of flames out is to disappear. a match holds the promise of many things. If that match falls on one pile just so, then flame beats
2: fire.
4: Light cannot help but be cast. Reveal what has Yet fires by nature consume. of night when the fire of or the hunger of a fire wild, for the nature of being consumed. no one person can survive in darkness for each
2: and all are beyond their
4: control in striking the match there is a promise